0: got here so today welcome to July's Um, fast-track the to me this is a fun class this is a if you if you haven't done fast-track before um, let me give you a little heads up you're not gonna sleep well tonight if you understand the message that I'm giving you Um, so be prepared to be a little groggy tomorrow morning you might not be thinking too clearly and then the August class is a lot of fun as well, because that's where we get into um, some, I guess you want to call them attractive returns, once you're at the point where you can analyze charts quickly and be in React mode as opposed to interpretive mode. And that just comes with time and experience. But uh, we'll open your eyes a little bit today on what's possible uh, from money management view. <laughs> but let me uh, just read through my notes. I read through it the last couple of days. And it's, it's pretty cool. There's not a lot that needs to be updated. Uh, you know, Granted, I changed the, the tone of the market discussion, that type thing. But it's really fascinating to see the emails that come in um, year after year after year around the same time of the year. And they all have the same tone and the same message. It's uh, it's really interesting. And it's not just about, well, of course they would come because that's what you talked about in the last month. It's not that at all. So... What I had written my notes from a number of years ago, again, happened in the last 30, 45 days. And so the way I always start off July is I share a few emails and phone calls I've had with students over the last 30, 45 days. And first email or, you know, one group of emails sounds like this, hey, Chris, so far this year I keep seeing, and they use flowery, long-winded language to basically say, Daily chart's pointing up, the 233's pointing sideways, the 55's at the upper band. And I find myself getting frustrated because I don't know what to do when I see that. What should I do when I see that? And my reply is always the same. say, man, that is a great question. I have no clue because I don't know what you're seeing. However, what I know, I suggest reading two books. First one is Relentless by Tim Grover. The second one is Winning by Tim Grover. And then not long after, I get another email. And it started, true story on this, on the way that it came in, but it happens now in groups as opposed to one or two or three people. But that second email, or the second group of emails said, hey, Chris, hope all is well. It's been a fun and educational month. I'm diligent doing the homework and I'm loving it. I spend at least an hour every night doing the homework and about 30 minutes, give or take, doing prediction work. I'm learning more and more as each day passes and I'm looking forward to what you're going to cover in July and fast track. Because, and then it gets funny because the next paragraph has basically the exact same wording as the earlier note. So far this year, I keep seeing, and they go on and they use long-winded words and basically saying the daily points up, 233 is going sideways, 55 is at the upper band. And you realize, okay, they're seeing the same stuff. What they did not put in their note, I'm sorry, what they did put in their note, they said, what should I do when I see that? What they did not put in their note was that they were frustrated. And when this first note came in a few years ago, what was fascinating is these two people, whether they're male or female, doesn't matter. I'm going to refer to them as guys, but they might have been female or one of each. They sit next to each other in class. And they sit next to each other in the POWs classes and in Fast Track. And what's cool is that second email was a lot faster to reply to than the first one. Because all I had to do was cut and paste. (laughs) And then... (laughs) Press send, control C, control V, send, done. Right? The response said, hey, great question. I have no idea. I don't know what you're seeing. But knowing what I know, two books, Relentless and then Winning, both by Tim Grover. Now, what's cooler? There's a third person that sits with them. Three of them always sit together. And I was thinking, I'll probably get another email from that third person, but it never showed up. And The day after having done this email back and forth with these two people, I had to go drive somewhere. And I think you all know or you've heard the story when I drive, if I'm on any kind of a distance on drive, I will always just randomly scroll through my phone, pick a name, and hit dial, and just chatter for a bit. Randomly, and it did work out this way, the person that I picked happened to be the third member of that group. He answered the phone, sort of talking for a little bit. And I said, hey, in your studying, have you come across a situation where daily's pointing up, is going sideways, 55s at the upper band. And they said, oh, yeah, I run into it all the time. And I said, how do you handle it? And they said, I know that I don't know how. So I don't trade them. I know Lamb has discussed it. I've written it in my notes somewhere. I didn't understand it when Lamb said it. I just wrote it down. And I trusted him when he said that his answer will make sense to me later this year or next. And you say the exact same thing in the newsletter. In fact, when now says it in the coaching. It will make sense to me when I'm ready to hear on that. And not long after that phone call, next few days, maybe it was a week, I stumbled on an awesome graphic and it really drove that point home. So let me show you what I ran into. By the way, let me run through my disclaimer stuff. Oops, clicking on the wrong screens. We're in July. I don't know what I'm doing. I don't have a license. It's just education. I'm an idiot. I'm a moron. Shouldn't listen to anything I talk about. Go talk to registered financial advisor because they're employed. They have a job. They're licensed. They know what they're doing. I don't, and I don't, and I don't. Um, and that should cover pretty much it all. Today's lessons are along the lines of education, but go talk to someone who knows what they're doing to get specific financial advice for your situation. That's what we're going to cover today. Now, here's the graphic that I ran into. And it, it you might say, wow, this looks like Maslow's theory of, uh, of hierarchy. You know, at the bottom, you got to take care of the food, clothing, shelter and you work your way up on the human, uh, the needs quad, needs pyramid, whatever they call that thing. But what I want you to think of is, listen to what I'm gonna say as I describe each one of these levels on the mental toughness period, uh, sorry, pyramid, and see where you fall into it. At the base is where you're trading not to lose. And the thinking on that, the words you might hear somebody use are, I had better perform, I'll be in trouble. And to describe this person, it's someone who really just simply shows up. And I give them credit for showing up, but that's about as far as it ever gets. They do not have high expectations. They're filled with skepticism. They're filled with doubt. They have a little drive. And they have a little determination. They get motivated every now and then, which ends up resulting in them doing some work. And it's all because they've got some dreamy desire. But again, they have little drive. They go through the motions half-heartedly. They know that someone might be watching. And so their only motivation is to avoid trouble which might mean some losing trades. Or worse yet, oh my God, sharing a trade that Lamb would dis- dissect during class. Or they, they're concerned about blowing out an account. And I wish it wasn't true, but there are a number of people on today's call who are in that category. The question becomes, can you move beyond that? And the answer is absolutely you can. The next level, is, for lack of a better word, you're trading to cruise. The thinking is, as long as you show up and do the minimum, you can just keep cruising. That, to me, is like the person that counts the days on the job that they have until they retire. They're going through the motions. And if you listen to their words, it's really easy to hear them say they're not expecting much. They'll talk of their dreams of climbing higher, but they're not really concerned about it. They're certainly nowhere close to obsessed. To get to the next level, there usually is some kind of belief-altering event that occurs. It can be a variety of belief-altering events. It's not one particular thing, but something happens to some event makes them alter their belief. And it could be maybe that their friend did it or they had an aha moment on a chart or they realized something when they were studying the money management strategy or something else, whatever it is, doesn't matter. But when they have that belief altering event, now they move up a level and now they find themselves in the next level of the pyramid, which, which is I call trading to improve. And the thinking on that is maybe I can accomplish more than I thought. They now understand that a higher level of success is out there and they'll say that they want it, yet deep down, they don't necessarily expect to get there. But still, the thought does cross their mind occasionally. Because they've got low expectations, their actions don't align with their desires. Said differently, they want the reward, but they're not willing to pay the price. Right? Everybody wants to go to heaven. Nobody wants to die. Everybody wants to make a ton of money. Not many people are willing to do the work. But that reality is much too harsh for them to hear. So they lie to themselves, saying that they're doing everything in their power to get ahead. But it's obvious that they're not. They'll say they're putting in more time than they really are. Now, some of these people are putting in a lot of time but they're putting it on the wrong stuff. Remember, 5% of this is how to do. 95% of this is how to think. And now that person, they keep working at it. And now they bump up a level. Now they're at the trading to compete level. And if you're here, you're driven by ego. You think you can be the best. And this person often starts out thinking they can be better than their neighbor. And they soon realize that this is is about being the best that they can be. This is not a comparison to your neighbor. So when I say, I think I can be the best, it's not comparing to everybody else. It's being the best for you. To get through this piece of the pyramid, the section of the pyramid, You have got to be brutally honest with yourself and you've got to look reality in the face because you have to understand that there is a difference between truth and fact. Fact is reality. Truth is our perception of reality and perceptions are subjective. What do I mean by that? I read something, when I wrote this up, I had read something recently, at that time, about charity. And it made me stop and think. Some people think of giving to charity as an expense. And others other people see it as investing in someone else's life. And I remember reading that, and it made me really stop and think about it. Um, A few years ago, a a number of you know, you all know I run a cash flow game. there's a guy in the class who runs a cash flow group. He's a teacher in a high school. He runs a cash flow group at his high school. And a number of years ago, he set up a, the cash flow club up there. I thought, man, that is so cool. So I donated a few cash flow, cash flow games to him, right, for use at the club. They needed it. I knew the guy running the group was going to do a great job. He'll do well with it. He's great with kids, and he'll, he'll, he's good at it, and they'll learn a ton. And it, it's not expensive. It's real simple and easy for the business to buy them. But now here's the question is that an expense, you know, a couple hundred bucks, or is that an investment in improving someone else's life? Right, and whether you view it as an expense or as an investment in someone else's life, that is your perception. So which line of thinking represents truth? And Truth is our perception of reality. So once you push through the level of trading to compete, be the best that you can be, the ultimate level is trading to win. And this is where I want all of you to be. And that's why I continually rant and harp on the mindset stuff. When you're at this level of the pyramid, your thinking is, I no longer feel fear because it's impossible for me to lose, and I'm grateful for the opportunity to be the best I can be. Now that doesn't mean you don't have a losing trade. Don't misinterpret the words. You no longer feel fear, because it's impossible for me to lose. It's at this level that you think about what you think about. There's an interview, Ed Milet runs a uh, runs a podcast. There's some great interviews there. There's one from a few years ago where he interviewed Sean White. Should we go look him up? Sean is S-H-A-U-N. He's the Olympic uh, snowboarder, the redheaded guy. And in the discussion that Milet had with him, White said that each time before he drops into the halfpipe doing the, the snowboard stuff, he knows that he's either going to win that event or he's going to learn something. And he views that event as his chance, his opportunity, to show off what he can do. At that level, you treat trading the same way as Sean White treats the half pipe. You only get into a trade if you expect to win. And it's almost like you're showing off to the market maker. Because when you show up in a trade, you win. And for those occasional trades that don't win, you're actually surprised that it wasn't a win, but it's okay, because now you have one that you can study to see what you can learn from that trade that didn't work as you expected. When you're at this level, you're brutally honest with yourself, and you've got no issue with looking reality in the face. You err on the side of over-practicing and over-preparing and you realize that you've got to be viewing this from an objective reality. Otherwise, you are in trouble. And lying to yourself has no place in your way of thinking. You gotta ask yourself every day, are my habits, my actions, and my behaviors in line with my vision for my future? A different way of saying that, before you do anything, Got to ask yourself, will this make me a better trader? Somebody made, in fact, they'd sent them to me a couple years ago. They made uh, those little rubber bracelet things, right, where people put sayings or mantras on there. And there said W T M M A B T. W T M M A B T. Will this make me a better trader? Now, looking at that mental toughness period, uh, pyramid. It doesn't matter where you currently are on the pyramid. and Because it's possible and very plausible that you progress to the top level of the pyramid. The people at the top of the pyramid, they are mentally tough. There's no doubt about it. The question becomes, when will you decide to become mentally tough enough to do what it takes? And I can't answer that for you. That's an internal discussion that you've got to have with yourself. And you do it on a regular basis. Any questions on that before I go on? Is that helpful? This is where it sucks to do a webinar. Very, very helpful. Cool, cool. Yes, very helpful. All right. Did I go too fast? Hopefully, you can keep up with me.
1: Uh, Chris, <clears throat>
0: I had a quick question about the uh, the top portion, that line with the quote. Sure. So um, I no longer feel fee- feel fear because it's impossible for me to lose, and that's in regard to if you win, you're you're confident in your analysis to win but even if the trade doesn't go in your direction, you still don't lose because you learn. Yes, exactly. Perfect. Yep, you got it. And Tim, what that really says is you're doing the trade because it meets your criteria. The results are gonna be the results. You have no control over that. You just know that you're gonna execute it properly. Right when it hits your profit target, you're out, and if it hits your or your loss target, whichever one it hits first, you bail, and then you go find the next victim. Other questions? You made the statement. Control your thoughts, or what you're thinking about. Uh, you think about what you're thinking about. Yeah, you can't, it, 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 it's that's tough that's to control it. your thoughts. I mean, your thoughts are like you know trains that come in and out of a train station. They're just random. But Wayne, what you do, what you control is you control how you react to those thoughts. Great, thank you. The, the parallel I've used with people, Wayne, have you ever been to Europe? Yes. Have you been in a train station in Europe? Yes. And what happens is you'll sit there and, you know, hopefully they speak the language that you speak (laughs) when they're there. But you'll hear the voice come over the the PA system and it'll say, uh, train arriving on platform number two from such and such a city. And it's not the train that you want, right? Because you're there early and you hear that city that it's coming from and you might think, wow. That's a great, man, that's a shithole city, man. I want to be for, I want to be coming from. This is a great place to be coming from, right? You want to be there. And then you'll hear the announcer will come up next and say, next train departs for, you know, a different city. And you may think to yourself, wow, I'd really like to go to that place. I've always been curious about it. Or you may think, man, who the hell would want to go there? You know, shithole city, wouldn't want to go there. But those thoughts pop into your head. And, you have opinions on those thoughts on those cities but you don't act on them you don't stand up and go what a shithole city that's coming from or my god why would anyone want to go to that destination you don't say that you might think it but you don't react those trains represent thoughts that pop into your head sometimes those thoughts come from a very positive place sometimes they come from a negative place And sometimes those thoughts lead to a negative place, right? A shithole city you don't want to go to. Or sometimes they lead to a very positive place, right? Some nirvana, very interesting, historical, fun to visit, whatever it might be, city. But those are opinions that you've got about that. But you don't need to react to them. But you're aware of what you're thinking about. Does that make sense? Yes. Thanks for repeating that. I appreciate that. Yeah. No worries. No worries. Anyone else before I move on?
2: Hey, Chris. Um, I wanted to ask you about the trading to compete level. Um, because uh, I guess at first I kind of thought, well, I don't, you know, I, I don't really think of myself as competing against others, but, but I think the thing that's jumped out of me reflecting on this is the, when you talk about it, it's not about comparing to anyone else and being the best you can be.
0: And it's just comparing to you. It's what are you capable of? Yeah. Yeah. So, being and, the, and, so Chris, being the best is not related. it's not you comparing yourself to me or to anyone. Cause Chris, I want you to be better than I am. Wow. If I do this right, think about it. Yeah. And Chris, I think you and I are give or take the same age, and so you you should you should be able to do better than I do because you don't have to make as many false starts as I did, and so you can get to a a, a greater level of competence quicker than I did.
2: Oh, okay. Okay. But now
0: think about that for someone who's a 20 or 25 or a 30-year-old that's on the call, right? They don't have to make all those false starts that I did if they'll simply listen to the voice of experience and do as, do as I suggest. And so financially, they're, they should kick my ass financially. Now, they may not do it this year. They may not do it next year but when they get to be my age, they should be well ahead of where I was at that age because they didn't have to make all the false starts that I did. But but again, that's comparing them to me. This is not about comparing yourself to anybody else. This is about comparing yourself to what you can do. All I'm saying is that by if you follow what's given and do as instructed, your results can be phenomenal. And the battle that you're going to have is against yourself. It's not against what somebody else can do. But if you want to compare, I fully expect that you'd kick my ass when you get to the age that I am. Right? And, you know, you should be far, if you're young, you should be far ahead of where I was at 40 and far ahead of where I was at 50 and far ahead of where I am at 60. Because you don't have to make the false starts. But wow. again, not comparing. But thing think it's, it makes sense, doesn't it?
2: Yeah, 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 yeah. I never thought and, about
0: that. Yeah, and I would be yeah. fucking, in fact, I'd be disappointed if you weren't well ahead of where I was at a certain age. I'd expect you to be well beyond. And then i expect you to pay my fucking mortgage. Yeah. <laughs> 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 but all seriousness right but you think about it because you don't you you can avoid the false starts and so that becomes a question of you being the best that you can be
2: yeah yeah i th- I, th- I think something i'm just realizing is maybe there's a part of me that's a little bit stuck at that trading to compete level only in the sense that like i get feelings of insecurity when i hear, uh, I, I guess when I hear of other people talk about the, the ease of doing this or however you say it, you know, um, and,
0: but the, so I, if you think about it, Chris, their ease of doing it, if you hear it that way and then you hear it and go, wow, but it, excuse me, but it's not easy for me. That's your battle. Right. Yeah. Right. And yeah. So you think, okay, so why, there's something in their head that's telling you it's not easy. And usually when that shows up, it's probably because you're not seeing the results that you were hoping or expecting to do by this point in time on the calendar. Yep. <laughs> right? And what it is, is that's you setting an expectation. That's you, I mean, you hear me say over and over, don't put a stopwatch on yourself, right? And that stopwatch, you know, that, that's a metaphor for a whole bunch of things, but really what it it, it boils down to you have an expectation that you'll be this far along by this date and this far along is usually measured as far as a dollar amount but remember the dollars are the last thing that show up and if the dollars aren't there it's because something isn't correct in the using the plumbing system metaphor right something isn't correct in your foundation whether it's an understanding of the rules or understanding of the psychology um, I don't want to use the word issues, because that sounds negative, because we all got them. But of the site of the programming things that are in your head that you haven't scrubbed out yet. Yep. Okay.
2: Okay. Yeah, yeah. Nope, that, that, that really helps. That makes a lot
0: of sense. Yeah. Cool. And then, Chris, the other way, like, if you find yourself getting frustrated, look back in time, and look how far you've come. And you can either do that, right, by sitting in on a POWs class and listen to the beginners or just talk with people that around you that are clueless about the stock market and listen to what they say. You're like, man, this guy doesn't have a clue. And you re- and you think, thank God I'm not him. And that's when you realize how far you've come.
2: Yes, yeah, 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 I need to. I need to remember that. You know, I think I heard you once say compare your current self to your past self or something like that. Mm-hmm. You know, the measuring progress. and Okay.
0: Yeah,
2: yeah. Yep. All right. Yeah, thank you.
0: Hey, Chris, a couple of people just chimed in. Um, I won't name them. It's just so they, for whatever reason, but one of them said, "Tell it says, tell Chris, yes, it's easy, but not easy. It's a lot of hard work and years of studying to get to easy, but it's just like anything else in life. okay
2: yeah <laughs> yeah yep. well and, yep. I, and i could i could see that in the sense of like the um how do i say it but it's it it you know the consistent execution and some of these things are, are i'm it's like if i compare current to past am I'm, I'm, I'm far better you know it's just far better than i was um you know it's but but yeah it, it's I don't know. It's I guess it's like you said, it's kind of like steady progress
0: and things like that. So, yeah. Christy, I think somebody typed in one here too, and they said ego is equivalent to taking on Rambo. Those of you that are too young don't know Rambo is, think of an MMA MMA fighter. And his comment was, why do it when you don't need to, to get to your desired place? Okay. Right? Your Your ego is a bastard. But why fight it? Because you don't need to.
2: Hmm. Okay. Oh. Yeah. All right. No, thank you. You didn't have a lot to think about. Yeah. That's <laughs> good.
0: Cool. Very cool. You're welcome. Thanks for chiming in. Other questions, comments before I move on?
3: Chris, Chris I, have, I have
0: one for you. Uh huh.
3: I remember during the pandemic, just listening to all your podcasts that you and Lamb did and the 95-5 ratio, and this is just another example for me on how so in- imperative that is. And when you just brought this triangle up, I was thinking, for example, when I go to church you know, on a Sunday and I'll hear an amazing sermon and I want to take something from that sermon and have it impact my week or change my actions during the week, and the next thing you know, Monday morning comes along and I almost forget about it and I don't make a change. And when I'm where I'm at now, understanding the 95-5 ratio and how important mindset is, sometimes when the market opens, I almost forget and I turn into the, the inverse of that formula. And it's how, all of a sudden I'm 95% how to do and 5% how to think and I almost forget it. And maybe you guys will touch on it in the psychology course. But it gets really frustrating for me at times. It's almost like I forget how important the mindset is when the market opens.
0: Um how's your? How's so, your so the first thing is welcome to Money Church. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. yeah. But Eddie, um, how good are you at personal journaling? oh i I, I, I live for it. i I create a journal almost daily, mo- at least three or four times a week. Okay. And so part of what you want to be capturing is what you just said, because a lot, it's got to be awareness. So you know that it's a 95 five, but when the, when the switch flips at, you know, nine thirty Eastern on Monday morning, market ding, ding, the mark, you know, the opening bell rings. And now suddenly you go into, you know, a, a completely different person than you were at nine in the morning exactly right there's something that's and again I'm no I'm no psycho psychologist psychoanalyst psycho whatever, any any of those things that require some kind of a license and a lot more education than I've got but there's something that's triggering you to get excited about the action you're like a sailor that's been on out at sea for six months and walks into a bar with two women Right. And you pretend like you've never seen a female before and you act like a jerk. Interesting. I like that metaphor. Thank you. No problem. <laughs> hey, I realize, you know, that this is the it's the weirdest position to be in like when people call and they they buy the class. Every one of you guys, I called you when you first took on the class, and many of you, I, I use the metaphor, the analogy, and I'll say, hey, you know, you don't, you don't realize how emotional you behave. And I'll ask and I'll say, you know, do you have any kids? And if I'm lucky, you'll say that you'll have a daughter. And, the, you know, if I'm really lucky, then she'll be, you know, at least six, seven, eight years old, hopefully in the teens. And I'll ask and I'll say, do you remember at some point, in your daughter's history as you go through the child raising process you ever notice that there's some days and and i don't have a daughter i have a son and he behaves the same way but friends that have daughters say it's even more exaggerated on the hormonal curve where first thing in the morning everything would be going great and then you don't know what happens but the clock changes like one minute to the next and suddenly that little person that was just you know a a bundle of love, six, you know, 59 seconds ago, is now like the devil child. And you think, what the hell happened? They become this ra- raging nut. Um, and I'll I'll ask the, the student, I'll say, you know, do you, where do you think they get that behavior? They get that from mom or you get that from dad? And the guys will always laugh and go, well, it's probably me. I say, no, it, it's not probably, it is you. Because you don't realize that you behave like a 12 year old prepubescent teenage bitch. And then they'll pause and they laugh. I go, yeah, it's pretty crazy right here. I am. Welcome to class and I call you a bitch. But you don't realize how emotional you are in your actions. You can see it in others, but you don't see it in yourself. And so Eddie, I don't know what what word I used. I I used something just to describe you. I didn't use the word bitch, but it was something along the same lines. And it's interesting, right? When I say that to somebody, I'm never, ever trying to attack. But it's like, man, you can call someone, you know, some really horrific terms and they go, wow, you're right. (laughs) That's, That's amazing. And all it is, it's the thoughts and the words in your head that are bouncing around and you're acting upon them. and you don't realize it and it shows up in your trading. That's great, thank you, Chris. You're welcome, you're welcome. Anyone else before I move on? Hey, Chris, it's Troy. Hey, Bob. Um,
4: So the line of thinking that came up for me in this session with everybody's questions and comments is, you know, you can be great at doing the visualization and and goal setting and all those things. And, but like what you talk about with regard to not being there with your expectation. Um, and I'm, I don't know if this is really a question, comment, whatever, but it's like, how do you, how do you, um, think about. Like, where, like, how do you keep perspective on where you are on, you know, getting that 10,000 hours of, of experience needed to get to that, you know, concert pianist level or black belt level, you know, so like, you know, you're a minute before the market opens and you can say, I'm going to, you know, kick ass today, but yet you're not a black belt yet.
0: And but, so, but, but your definition of kicking ass, if it's around money, that's wrong. If it's around executing the process, then that's right. <clears throat> There's a, I'll give you an example. Yeah, There's a yeah. couple couple chi- things that chimed in. There's a guy on the line who is a, I don't know what his title is, somewhere up in the management chain at a major refinery in Southern California. And this thing takes up, a, you know, a few square miles of acreage right in the middle of a very heavily populated area. And over the years, they've had issues where there will be sometimes minor things that go on. And they've had some major ones, right, where they have, you know, big explosions or whatever kind of stuff going on. Part of his job is the the startup of, the startup of any one of these multi-bazillion dollar refinery-type machines, and they've got a checklist that they run through every time when they bring this thing up, and they run through it every time when they power it down. <clears throat> and in that power-up sequence, and it's, you know, very similar to when you have when uh, a pilot is getting ready to depart on a plane. They've got a, a pre-flight checklist that they go through. You know, are the wings attached? Are, you know, all what I even know the questions on there but you've got the same thing with this major refinery and if something isn't correct they stop and they've got to fix the issue because if they continue on the power-up sequence and ignore the red flag or the the red warning light could either be a major financial expense and or there could be a catastrophic explosion the lives would be lost so they go through uh, a predefined Power up sequence, and they do the same thing on the power down. You should have something similar for yourself in going into the market. If you think about it, as you get going at this, and once this is firing, you're a multi million dollar machine that can produce multi million dollars from the stock market. Now, if you're just starting out, you're not going to do it today, but at some point in the future, you have that capability. But you've got to build those steps in there to say, is everything correct with the machine? We'll cover this in the psych class. But as an example, first question, you know, did you get enough sleep? Are you hydrated? You know, what's, what's going on mentally, right? Did, did you have a, a death in the family recently? Are you thinking clearly? Did, did stuff go wrong? Is everything going right? Are you, are you properly confident? Are you overly confident? Right? These, all these checkpoint things that you need to go through. And Eddie, that might help too, to go through that pre-market routine checklist to be sure to kind of ground you just before the opening bell rings. So now that when the opening bell rings, you aren't acting any different than you were a couple minutes ahead of time. Just now that you have the opportunity to buy or sell, but mentally you're in the same spot you were five minutes earlier. Just that now, when you press the button, it can be for real. Troy, does that help? I'm not sure if I was going down the right path for you.
4: No, that, that definitely helps. Um, that hits close to home because I used to sell equipment to refineries that you know do that do that work. Yeah, for mm-hmm. outages, for shutdowns, and, and restarts.
0: Right, and so. and Troy, you you do it today with your car. If you think about it, right when you get in in the morning, you go to start up the car. If the check engine light comes on you don't go driving away because you know that there's something that's not right and it could cause very significant and expensive damage if you don't turn off the car and figure out what's wrong. And so you do that today with your automobile. People do that today if they work in a manufacturing process or manufacturing plant of some sort, but you got to think of yourself as a, as a money manufacturer that can manufacture money from the stock market. Thank you. You're welcome. Check my notes here. Text messages. Then I'll move on.
1: Chris, it's Ron. Do you have time for one more comment? Sure. Go ahead. So I remember, you know, going through this every year. i appreciate I don't mean to beat this one to death, but just thought I'd offer something. I remember, you know, going through this every year, and and like I'm sure everybody on the call trying to figure out where I was at, right? And journaling about that, and. Um, I remember last year thinking I was at a certain place, right? And then I went back every month, I try to review kind of where I'm at and things that I've learned and things like that. And, you know, where I'm at overall, my batting average, my brick rate, et cetera. And then I realized that where I was at was not what my results were showing, right? And it reminded me of the Dunning-Kruger effect, right? That We've talked about where, you know, where your ego, right? Sometimes is a lot different place than, than reality. Just like you were talking about a second ago too, right? About the, mm-hmm. you know, truth versus reality. And it made me think, wow, you know, it was a good a good double check for me. I know I love the Bill Parcell's quote, uh, the NFL football coach who says, You are what your record says you are, right? Because we can lie to ourselves and think, ah, well, I got unlucky there, or this wasn't so great there. Or, I had this thing going against me or whatever. But the bottom line is you are what your record says you are. Right. So my the, my takeaway last year and thinking about where I was at in the reality was I gotta, I gotta. If I think that's where I'm at, I probably have stuck before, right? And then use that as incentive to get to that next level uh, yes. because the mind is so powerful and it can it can fool you into thinking that you're somewhere or you're not. So it's two cents for me.
0: That's cool. That's cool. <clears throat> when had typed in something here that might help too. Um, going back to that, he said it had, and I was kind of alluding to it, he put it more succinctly than I did. He said it has to do with your pregame routine. Do you review your trading plan? We've all seen those during work. the pregame before the market. To do, do it every day, and if you're not doing that, if you don't have it written, there could be a solution for you. If it's written and you're not reviewing it, there's the solution for you. And if it is written and you review it, and that doesn't address that, then you need to add another step in your pre-market prep. <clears throat> That can deal with, excuse me, um, flipping from you knowing it's ninety-five percent how to think at nine twenty-nine a.m. and then at nine thirty-one it's all about the how to do. Right, you become like you know the the dogs seem very food driven, right? (laughs) Squirrel, 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 and that's all you can focus on. But to Ron's point as well, you you are your ego thinks you're further ahead than you are. You've got the competence versus the confidence. And you better be sure that one is not too far ahead of the other. Otherwise, that is not stupid. <clears throat> Uh, somebody typed in this say, uh, hey, do you have uh, kind of off topic? Do you have any key insights to share based on discussions or observations during the mixer? Um, not so much that I, for those of you that came out, uh, thank you for coming, by the way. I hope you all, I, I got tremendous feedback. So I'm, I'm, I heard from everyone that everyone I heard from loved it. Um, a number of people had never been to one before and they walked <laughs> in. At some point, they walked to me with eyes open saying, oh my God, this is not what I expected. This is phenomenal. Um, but it's not so much the, the insights, I guess, that I got. I, you know, I, And I was chatting with anyone that would come up to me, but if you notice, I would chat for a few minutes and I was always trying to steer you towards somebody else and not trying to brush you off, but really the objective is for you to be there is to connect with others. Um, so hopefully that was helpful. Anyway, John, do you have any key insights that you got or observations from being there?
5: Yeah, that, I wasn't prepared for that question, but yeah, I was blown away. It was my first one. I've been basically a COVID student, so I've never been face-to-face with pals or Fast Track, never been to a mixer. I was blown away. It's. Um, I told you ahead of time that uh, you had given me encouragement to go, and I thought, well, I've got a lot of reasons not to go. It's inconvenient. It's kind of out of my comfort zone. And then you and Win both said, "Well, that's a reason to go. If you want to grow, if you want to get to where you want to get, you need to do the inconvenient things. You need to move out of your comfort zone." So I I loved it. I met a lot of spectacular people um, at all levels. People who you know were further ahead on the path. People who are just starting the path. Um, yeah, I brought my daughter, and she and I we uh, drove back about seven-ish hours on Sunday back home. And she and I talked the whole way about the people we met, the ideas we got, the things we're going to do differently. The um,
0: it was it was a powerful experience. What did she walk? So John, cool. Thank you for sharing. What did she walk out with?
5: You know the. Um, so I was incredibly grateful that you spent time talking with her one-on-one uh, Lamb spent time talking with her one-on-one. I spent time talking with her one-on-one. She's a 21 year old uh, about to be college senior and She has a strong mindset. She's done all the reading um, that you know, we has been recommended here. We share books We discuss them the um the, the comment that she said was most impactful to her was when Lam said, "I don't enjoy staring at charts. It's boring as hell, but I love what it enables me to do and um, what it's done to my life." And so I think she started to reflect on that because she's heard me, you know, rave about the three of you guys about your kind of your trading acumen. And she's like, "Holy smokes! This guy who's one of the best traders in the world doesn't love staring at charts." She's like, "Maybe I got to rethink my, my." Uh, opposition to embracing the path that you've been on dad.
0: Oh, that's cool. Yeah. yeah it's a necessary evil, if you will. Yeah. It, it, it is, it is a puzzle. If you think of it in that way, you know, you're, you're not so much looking for a needle in a haystack, but the solution to the needle in the haystack maybe. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. It, it's not a hell of a lot of fun to sit and stare at charts,
2: <laughs>
0: but it, it does afford you the opportunity to hope to do a whole bunch of other stuff. Right, John does she study business what is she studying I can't remember
5: she wants to be a published author she's studying creative writing okay cool <clears throat> yeah and I've told her perfect profession you you take care of your financial needs and you can spend all the time you want you know creating your books and doing whatever you want with them you don't have to be a Stephen King or whatever you can um, you can impact the people that you want to impact whether it's be you know underserved people children what have you you, yep. this, this enables you to follow that path. And,
0: and you can do that. If she stays on the West coast, you can do that. Starting at one in the afternoon, right? Right. You got the rest of the day for yourself. Mm-hmm. That's cool. Very, very cool. Tell her, I expect to see her at the next one. I don't care what's going on at school. <laughs> All right. <laughs> <laughs> very cool. Thank you, Jeff. You're welcome. Uh, somebody add, typed in and said any update on a potential class being held in person. Um, yeah, I haven't really thought too much about it. The uh, Jeremy the I don't know if we'll do a live class in person. the the idea though that's where we're doing the mixers. <clears throat> if you think you know coming in to, to do a live class, it uh, you know granted you're hanging out with you know 200 people, whatever the count, whatever the attendee count is in the room. But if you think about it, you know we do two during a live class we've got you know however early you arrive and then we'll take about an hour for lunch and then you got two yeah maybe 30 minute breaks so if you add it all up you get 2 hours to chat with others and then at the end of class if you hang out afterwards and chit chat <clears throat> so you get 2 hours to hang out with others and in that 2 hours you've still got to you know put some food on your plate run to the restroom grab some water so you've got much less than two hours to chit chat with people. When you do the mixers, and you come out to the mixer, um, if we do it at the location we have been doing it, which is very close to where Wen lives, he gets over there at about three. They're open till 10.30. Um, usually he ends up hanging out in the parking lot for at least an hour afterwards. <clears throat> so and I, th- I think this one, I think I left at midnight on, uh, was it last weekend or two weeks ago, whenever it was, whenever we held the mixer, and So it's ballpark three o'clock till midnight. So you got nine hours of being able to interact with a couple hundred people. And to me, that is much more helpful, I think, than coming into a live class and watching my lips flap (laughs) as opposed to just listening to them when you're sitting sitting at home on the webinar. So I think actually the mixers have more value as far as doing the interaction with folks than actually doing the live class. So just, just my two cents. Oh, cool, if you're you're welcome. All right, let me keep on going. If somebody's got something, just chime in or we can come back to it later on. Uh, market update. Last text comment in here. All right. Um, hopefully you've been paying attention over this year to the super six, right? The last ballpark three days of the month, the first three days or first last three trading days of the month, first three trading days of the following month. It's a ballpark six day period and it tends to be volatile. Um, kind of rally that's going on for a while here. We can look like, I don't know if we're topping out or not, but <clears throat> we're kind of rolling back over. We'll see, but we've had the July rally. You generally see those last in the range of about three weeks maybe a little bit longer go back and look and you can see that I know Chris will talk about that we get in looking at charts later on today um, just a heads up for you a lot of traders seem to go on vacation during the maybe the bulk of August usually it's about the last seems like the last three weeks or so of August through Labor Day and so don't be surprised to see the market slide toward the end of August. Doesn't mean they're gonna go into a big swoon, but go back and look in history and you'll see what I'm talking about. Uh, we'll talk later on today about watching for a post-Labor Day pop, and it seems to happen year after year after year after year. <clears throat> one of the things too, when Fast Track was first put together and we're was assembling the materials with Chris, one of the thoughts was to not provide any handouts. And like, wait, what, you wouldn't give me anything? It's like, nope, I'd hand you a pen and a stack of blank sheets. And if I did that, that would force you to pay attention and to take notes. But I chose to write some of it down in a manual format for you, but I didn't write it all down. What's written in the manual is, I don't know, 30, 40, maybe 50% of what's being taught. And so if we were in a live room, I always tell people, I should never see your eyes. I should only see the top of your head as you're face down, you know, with um, diligently staring at your notes as you're writing notes. What's interesting to me is I get questions from people about stuff that I've already answered. And a lot of times, the answer to the question that's being asked is already written in the manual. So it's one thing if you missed it when I said it but it's already written in the manual and just so you know, that's annoying as hell because it tells me that you're not reading. And that's why I didn't write everything in the manual because people don't read. Now, some of the questions are on on topics or subject areas of the world that are not written in the handouts and yet I know I said it because I know what was discussed in class, but you didn't write it down when I said it. And what happened was, you know, if we're in a class, you stared at me and you pondered it. Or if you're sitting at home, you might be checking the baseball scores, or in a, you know, a couple months, you're gonna check football scores. Or y- your brain gets distracted by something else on your desk. Or when I said it, you told yourself, oh, that makes sense. And you never wrote anything down. And then when I went on to another topic, you forgot about that original topic that you said, oh, that makes sense. And you didn't forget about it on purpose. It's because there's a lot of stuff involved with doing this. So as I say each time in class, write down everything that gets said, even the rants, even the long-winded stuff, because there's a reason that I'm saying it. I'm not just trying to fill up time in the class. I could go a lot longer. There's a lot of stuff that I, I would love to talk about, but I don't include. I'm giving you only what I think is important. Okay, a couple things too. Let's talk about gaps, both gap up and gap down. We gap up to go up. We gap down to go down. Eventually, you don't just quickly buy calls when there's a gap up. You wait for the bounce. And then you only trade the bounce if there's enough potential bounce. So let's say a stock gaps, I don't know, $20. It could bounce $5. A $3 gap might only bounce a buck. But if it's volatile enough, you can trade the bounce using the small charts to try and capture the bounce. And it's also going to depend on the stock. You always got to ask yourself, does this stock move? Is it volatile enough? Now, another thing that's always a fun topic to watch people's reaction when I first say it is, how do you handle a crash? And I want you to pay close attention to what I'm about to say, because it's a very different way of thinking that one might typically hear. In your trading career, you are going to witness a stock market crash. How does that sound for optimism? I know you're going to witness a crash. And in a crash, you will not be able to participate unless you're already in. Now think about what I just said. I'm saying it's gonna be nice to participate in a crash. If you're already in puts, it's a great thing. But if you're not already in puts, you will not be able to get in and make money. Let me say that again. If you're not already in puts during a crash, you're not gonna be able to get in and make money. And the reason why is there's not gonna be legitimate bid ask pricing for you to be able to place an order because the flood of orders coupled with a, a very fast and a very steep decline leads to the market maker being unable to keep up with the orders. If you're not already in, you're not gonna be able to participate. And if you try and get in at those prices, what you are gonna be unknown, because the market can't keep up, then you're gonna hurt your account balance. Because if you go in with a market order, you have no idea what the price truly is. They could be minutes behind. So what that says is you never, please highlight this. I've bolded it for you, but please highlight it in yellow and red. Never place a market order during a crash. Back in 1987, if you had called your broker, you would have gotten a busy signal. Fast forward about 13 years. In May of 2010, there was a flash crash. That's what they called it. And the market was already down about 300 points. And then within five minutes, it dropped another 600 points, and then it recovered most of that 600-point decline within about 20 minutes. Go back and look; you'll see it. And go look at the Dow and the S&P. Well, the Dow is the one that had the 600-point drop. You can see it on the S&P as well. Back in May of 2010, I had been in a put trade when it was dropping, and I closed it when the market was down about 300 or so. And I was talking to Lamb on the phone. He was in the car. He was still working. <clears throat> and then I noticed that the Dow was suddenly down 600, right? Just like bam, it just dropped really quick. Talking to Lamb said, "Dude, got to go." You know, there's it's like rules of surfing, right? If a good wave comes, you can stop your discussion right in the middle. There's no, there's no harm. There's no foul. You take off. You chase the wave. And so. Lamb and I have the like I it now with when too. if we're talking something's going on market. Like, oh got to go You just hang up the phone and you're gonna go jump and you know See if you can get action on that, but I hung up on him and I watched the market fall to down almost 900 and Then it rose really quick and I was trying to place limit orders on a few stocks, but I couldn't get filled I Think Chris is on now Yep, he's on um I think that's when he decided that he wasn't going to stay at IBM much longer because he was missing all the fun. He realized it. But the reality at that in that flash crash, it was very difficult to place an order. And I'm sitting here at my screen trying to place it. Couldn't do it. <clears throat> if in a crash scenario, if you're in a call, you got to understand you're going to probably have a 100% loss or darn near equivalent of 100%. Once you accept that, and then if you're able to get out with maybe only an 80% loss, you're going to feel good about it. If you're in puts, wait for the market to stabilize. So then you can realize a legitimate profit. And you got to understand you can't get out of it right away. If you try and get out right away, you're not going to realize the profit. Once the market stabilizes, and it might take till the next day, then you'll see a legitimate bid-ask price, and now you realize the legitimate profit. When, I say, when you say, well, what do you mean legitimate? <clears throat> you could put in a market order and get taken out, but you don't have any idea what the price is until actually you get filled. <clears throat> that <clears throat> Excuse me, it's legitimate because you got filled, but you were just throwing a dart against the wall saying, take me out wherever you want. I don't believe you should act that way. And so you look to exit the trade when you know what the price is that you're going to get or very close to it. If you're in puts on that, you're going to make a ton of money. Don't worry about it. Just relax. Just wait till the market stabilizes. And again, you might have to wait overnight. You might have to wait till the next day. That's fine. Just relax. Wait for the market to stabilize. If there's a crash or when there's a crash, it's going to cascade down hard. And you'll see a support area and then it's going to bounce you may or may not be able to trade the bounce due to the the bid-ask spread being very wide on the options and maybe on the stock and likely on the stock as well too. If you're gonna try and trade that bounce, you wanna wait to see evidence of support on the bigger charts, like maybe the 200 moving average or something or a lower band or some kind of support level. And then you see the indicator start to confirm that support. It may rise. And then once it reverses and begins heading back down, then you trade puts. And if you miss the opportunity to participate, it is not a big deal. It's much more important to be able to recognize it, to observe what happens, and then learn from it. Okay. Any questions on that? Um, Eric typed in, he said, do the rules for these crashes apply to sector crashes, like what just happened to regional banks a couple months ago, or is it the overall market crash? Um, Eric, I'm speaking more on the overall market crash. You may see, <clears throat> for example, with the banking sector like that, you're going to see where it's difficult to get bid ask, or a reasonable, uh, an accurate bid ask, but I'm talking more about when the entire market is cratering. And it's it's almost impossible to get a... Um, not a fair price, a known price on anything in the market. And that's where you just have to sit back and wait. Questions on this? Cool stuff, all right, keep going. Thank you, Chris, for answering that. Oh, you're welcome, oh, you're welcome. All right, next thing is unhealthy markets. So the question comes up, how do you handle your income account in an abnormal bull market? What I mean by that is if you find yourself in a market condition that's continually going up and not backing up as it should, you're going to need to make a slight adjustment to your strategy as a just-in-case defensive posture. In that scenario, your income account steps, like they always have been, are to buy stock, just like you always would, and then sell calls without a churning reason to do so. what you do is you sell the calls a few strike prices below a major support level on the big charts, because that's where price is likely to pause or stabilize when it does pull back. So, for example, you buy stock using a normal entry criteria, stock rises, I don't know, 5% or so from your entry point, and the charts aren't necessarily signaling that it's finished rising, but what you could do is sell the calls a few strikes below major support on a big chart, and if the stock does come down, it will fall and it should initially stabilize at those support levels. And after that initial drop, those deep in the money, short calls, the the calls you shorted that you sold, they've got a strike price that is below that support level, which allowed you to capture most of that down move. And then at that point you assess whether or not it makes sense to buy back the short calls. If price does bounce, then from some support point before hitting your strike, you'll have the opportunity to buy back the calls. And then you let the stock bounce up a bit and sell the stock. Close the position entirely. No reason to panic. No reason to be afraid. you got to understand, though, a, a healthy market goes up and down. And you should be cautious when you see a market that just goes up, continual up and up and up. It's not healthy. And it's very challenging to trade in that kind of environment. And the reason is when you don't have any kind of normal pullbacks along the way, eventually the market will do a pullback and it'll be a scary pullback when that full, when that pullback does finally happen. And you don't know when it can happen, which will give you cause for concern. But now, fast-track student, I've told you this, there's no reason to be scared. Because with your understanding, your preparation, and your awareness, there's zero reason to be scared. You just follow all the rules like you always do. You'll also notice in unhealthy markets when you'll see if you're practicing the news, you'll be able to recognize news items that should have an impact on the market. And when those news items don't move the market, it could be the sign of an unhealthy market. <clears throat> the example I've got in my notes in what was 15, almost getting, approaching 20 years ago now, back in 2007. It was about a year or so before the 08 financial debacle. China taxed their stock trades, and their market went down. I think it was 8%, if I remember correctly. Because they were going to start taxing stock trades, the U.S. markets ignored it and they kept going up. That's the sign of an unhealthy market. The U.S. the U.S. market should have reacted to that as well. Another example you'll see more commonly is gas prices, because they can affect the market. Um, it was a number of years ago in the spring, gas prices rose dramatically, and that should have a should have had an effect on Walmart and target initially and the reason for that is their client base their customer base is going to be more negatively affected by an increase in gas prices meaning they don't have as much money to spend at target and walmart instead what happened was prices kept going up and again rising fuel prices should affect stocks that are in the that cater the lower parts of the economy but it didn't And that's a potential red flag for an unhealthy stock market. You got to keep in mind too, for the last number of years, right, we've been in a market that was being fueled by the Fed, buying treasuries and mortgage backed securities to the tune of, I think it was like 80, $85 billion a month or a week. Recently, the Biden administration, right, was pumping money into the system under the falsely named infrastructure plan, right? He's basically throwing money to the masses to buy votes. Oh, sorry, sorry, that's a misspeak. It's due to COVID, that's why, right? But they were flooding the market with money. And now you'll see it's gotten to the point where people are not working because it pays more to stay home. What people have forgotten about, if you think back when AOC first came in as an example, One of her claims was that she wanted to raise minimum wage. And you'll notice they don't talk about that anymore. But what they did was they got it raised by default by the administration flooding the system with dollars. It encouraged people or discouraged people from working. And the only way to get them to work in the lower end entry level jobs, you had to raise the salaries. So they didn't have to put a federal mandate to raise the minimum wage it happened because they flooded the system with money tell the story it was a, i think it was during, it was during covid a few years ago now um, i had never been to a shake shack and my kid was doing some sailing race up in the bay area and so we went up there for a weekend and While we're up there, he's out in San Francisco Bay in small little boats doing whatever racing stuff they're doing, and I walked into a Shake Shack, and it was cool because I could have snagged a $1,000 bonus if I'd wanted to work there, and I talked, you know, as I ordered him a burger and my my chocolate shake, I talked with the manager for a couple minutes, and I told her I I lied. I told her I was a shareholder Um, and was asking her about the sign that they had out front for the $1,000 bonus, and she says, because they can't find any workers. And her words were, people make just as much money staying home and collecting the check from the government. And I said, so, and we we're talking, this is before they uh, the, the recall for our Governor Newsom was was going on, the, the vote collection process, the signature collection process. And I said, does it make sense, from what you hear, does it make sense to people why there's a recall effort for Newsom And her words, she said, why would you recall someone who's giving you free money? It was really interesting. Um, So, But anyway, that money was flowing into assets. And as a result, we saw the stock market rising, right? Real estate was going up, stocks going up, crypto. Hell, trading cards, art, the whole nine yards. What you've got, it's government intervention into what's supposed to be a free market. And when there's unnatural intervention, markets get screwed up. Those dollars have to find a home. And at the time, interest rates were negligible. And so the dollars migrated to where returns were possible. And at the time, that answer was the stock market. And that supply of money caused an increase in demand for stocks. That caused the markets to rise. And so then the concern became hey, what happens when the spigot gets reduced or turned off? Right. And now you'll see, now you've got interest rates sitting, you can get T bills, you can get for, I think, five and a quarter is what I, 5.3, I think, is what I got last week for the next tranche of T bills. Right. A year and a half ago, maybe less, they were sitting down in the two range, if not lower, two to three. It's very interesting. Right? So you always want to be aware of, as you start listening to things. And it doesn't matter what side of the political aisle you sit on. Just understand when, when you hear administration, whether it's Republican, Democrat, doesn't matter. When they're pumping money into the system, the money has to find a home. That lines up with the next topic, which is cog- cognitive dissonance. And it's an important concept that applies to behavioral finance. You need to be aware of your biases and your tendencies. And you got to deal with them when you're trading. And that term is cognitive dissonance. As an example, if you're pessimistic about the economy or if you're doubtful that the jobs market is truly as quote unquote good as the Labor Department would like you to believe, that skepticism is going to show up in your trading. You might see the market running north, but you've got it in your mind that it should be here in South any day now, but that day may not come for a very, very long time. Cause you always got to remember the market doesn't care what you believe. It doesn't matter. And it's just like the rain doesn't care whether or not you get wet. Don't let your emotions, don't let your opinions, get in the way of your understanding of the market. Otherwise, you're going to get swept away, right? When you get a big, long move up in the market, you want to pull back, right? You need it to be a few weeks long if you've had a long, retracted run, right? You want to see some down, then bounce up some, then down some more. That's healthy for the market. Got to be aware of that because if it If it doesn't do the healthy pullbacks, when it does do a pullback, it's painful. And then it creates panic and now you get it. You may have opportunities, but it's different issues. You got to be worried about or be aware of. Next thing to talk about is we're, you know, we're now in latter part of July. we get August, September, and then we'll come into the fall season. Retail stocks often rise in the fall season. You Go back and look at this, and you can see the high-end retailers tend to move first. They start off earlier in the fall season. And then the lower-end retailers tend to move a bit later during the fall season. And so you want to be aware of that, and you plan properly so you can participate in a retail trade September-October time frame. The entry rules are the same as always. And assuming that there is an entry, don't stress out about knowing which stock is the right one. You'll be able to figure that out in January with 2020 hindsight, but do try to choose one. Um, You will have just completed your refreshed watch list of moving stocks in September. And so it should not be difficult to pick a retail name. And some years work better than others. You say, well, what do you mean I'm gonna have to redo my watch list? You're gonna to have to redo your watch list. It's part of the effort for Fast Track. I'm gonna give you one, you know, in middle part of September, everybody on the on today's call or in, in Fast Track will get an updated watch list. But you wanna take the time and do the effort on your own part so that you know how to do it. You have an idea what to look for, and then you can compare your results to the one that I come up with. <clears throat> in the retail trade, yeah, you usually expect it to be over. Eh, give or take the 10th of December, something like that usually it runs for the first third of the month if it's going to. In the first week of December, CNBC typically will start predicting which relay or which, which retailers will move between then and Christmas. And the public will get excited when they see that the malls are busy or they hear that Amazon is you know shipping more than they had in the past. At that point, the trade is likely over. And so you sell them your shares. And typically, those few weeks before Christmas can yield trades that show up on the smaller time frames. But on your charts, you want to study the retail stocks around the fall winter season so you get a better understanding of how they move and when they move. Hey, Chris, are you on? gonna unmute eh, he may have walked away What time we got 127. let's do this let's do a uh, what do we got let's go till 145 let's take about a 15 18 minute break go grab some water uh, fill up your water bottle uh, release your internal water bottle grab a bike to eat. If you still got a few minutes, take a five minute walk in one direction out your front door. It's a beautiful time of the year, unless you live in Phoenix where it's hotter than hell. So John, your job is to just walk around the house a few times and those that are in Phoenix. But take about a five minute walk and then make it back home in about four. Um, so you walk back a little faster and then we'll start up again about 145.